1: What are you at? Good afternoon. This is Richard Duggan in for Linda Swain this afternoon. Linda is off. Uh, Lots going on uh, in the news world today. Uh, We had a a few things that our reporters were out uh, running around to throughout the day today. So we're going to have all the details on some of uh, what's been happening both here locally and at the federal level throughout the next uh, hour or so. Uh, VOCM's resident baller, Sarah Strickland, producing the show today. Good afternoon, Sarah.
2: Hi, Ricky. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think you producing the program has brought some warmth, at least into the St. John's region. It's really warm outside right now.
2: Yeah, man, it's a hot one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> not, not quite like seven <laughs> inches from a midday sun we 're not quite to that level, but it is pretty warm. It was like ten degrees outside yeah, right now, so you can 't complain for this time of year no, I mean like look I, as if I can go outside and not be absolutely froze to death, I think it 's a pretty good thing this time of year, so i 'll take it
2: but do you leave the house in the morning with like the winter coat on, and then by the time you get off of work you 're like you know sweating because you've got this big coat on
1: oh yeah yeah i i did that earlier actually when i went to uh one of the assignments that i was at earlier today like i went there i had the winter coat on i had the vocm2 on, and then i walked out of the building and i was like whoa i don't need all of this today so yeah it, it we're in that weird time of winter right now
2: it could be worse i mean we could be uh, snowmageddon
1: well listen j- <laughs> just la- well yeah no snowmageddon definitely <laughs> but i mean just a couple of days ago i was walking outside and like the wind's enough to clip you so i'll take this even if it's only for a brief period right
2: that kind of thing the wind's enough blow the milk out of your teeth. yes
1: yes no they exactly yeah uh (laughs) you can't i don't know yeah just enjoy it while you can i guess because winter is right around the corner and we're getting into now for winter the coldest parts of the year i find that normally it's like mid-January throughout the entirety of February is when you get the really cold spell, so you know, I don't know. Enjoy it while you can out there today, folks, because uh, it it never does stick around for too long, although, you know what? It it is nice to have it while it's there. Um, Speaking of the weather, uh, it's not something that we have to worry about today, but checking in with today's VOCM News question of the day. Today we're talking about snow clearing, and how do you rate snow clearing efforts in your area so far this year results are pretty almost pretty evenly split today Uh, 29% of people saying needs improvement 28% saying good 26% saying poor and 17% rating their snow clearing as excellent so far this year so if you have an opinion on that still loads of time to head on over to vocm.com and have your say on today's question of the day Alright, moving on now to some of the big uh, news of the day. Well, today the federal government announced more details of its dental care plan. Uh, The phased approach will begin later this month with seniors age 87 and over getting the first crack at signing up and then things slowly start to expand for more seniors over the next several months and the goal uh, is to have the coverage start and people in dental chairs availing of this coverage by around May or June of next year and Everyone that uh, that can qualify should be able to do so uh, by 2025. Uh, so we're going to have now uh, some comments from that news conference that announced the details of that program. Uh, here's some comments made by Federal Minister of Citizen Services, Terry Beach.
3: Thank you to all the colleagues that are here. Thank you to all the members of parliament who just happen to represent writings from every region of the country. Uh, thank you to uh, all the professionals that are here today and all of the staff. and Uh, uh, and individuals who have helped make today happen. Uh, This is the largest public benefit rollout of any program of any government in Canadian history, Uh, which is very exciting. Uh, But for that reason, it is very important for us to deliver this benefit in a responsible and predictable way. So. As of today, I'm happy to inform everyone here that Service Canada locations across the country have been trained up on the benefit and the phased rollout. As of next Monday, we will have a fully functioning call centre up and running to help Canadians with hundreds of trained professionals who are going to start working uh, next Monday and throughout the holidays. To ensure the best possible client service experience, we are taking a phased approach to onboarding Canadians that will take place between today and 2025. The first major point that I want to emphasize, and you'll probably hear hear me say this exact thing three times throughout my speech, because there's only one thing I would stand up here and say, it would be this. There is no proactive action that any Canadian needs to take today in order to enroll, other than making sure that you're up to date in filing your taxes. That's all you have to do as of today to prepare for the rollout of the dental benefit. We think up to nine million Canadians will qualify for this benefit. And if we are able to phase that out perfectly, that is still up to 25,000 Canadians a day, every day for the entire year. So we have uh, made sure to enroll people in phases in order to make sure that we are able to do that in a responsible way. Seniors 70 and up will start receiving invitations to apply via the mail and only via the mail starting December 18th through to March 2024. To be precise, individuals 87 years old and up, their letters will be going out this week, 77 and up in January, 72 in February, and 70 plus in March. Those individuals will receive a letter in the mail with instructions on how to enroll. The first group, all those seniors, 70 and up, will sign up using the telephone. They will need their SIN number and a unique code that will be included on the letter that will be sent to them in the mail. As part of the application, they will have to attest that they don't currently have access to private or employer uh, family dental plan. Service Canada will then pass on the information of individuals who qualify to the third party administrator Sun Life. Sun Life will then send a welcome package that will include the services that will be covered, a member ID card, and their coverage start date.
1: And there you have it. That's some comments by Federal Minister of Citizen Services, Terry Beach. Uh, That's from a news conference earlier today, giving some more details on uh, the new federal dental care plan that's coming out. And uh, as you may have heard, uh, his voice started to crackle there a little bit. They started to have some technical difficulties, so we couldn't take the full comments of what he said uh, because there was a little bit more detail in there. Um, So I'll just go through some of what I've uh, found online. So um, in terms of what is covered, There's a bunch of different procedures that people can uh, avail of under this uh, new program, preventative services, such as uh, cleaning, polishing, uh, sealants and fluoride, diagnostic services, such as exams and x-rays, restorative services like fillings, uh, treatments like root canals uh, and a whole bunch of other things uh, will be covered under this program uh, and, and a lot of the really routine things that I think a lot of people would uh, be looking to have covered and in terms of how much is covered um, so people with an annual family net income of under $70,000 a year uh, full coverage for them no co co-payment uh, is how uh, the federal government has a term for them uh, 40% copayment uh, for uh, people who have uh, a little bit more of, uh, of, an, inc- of an income there and uh, so on and so forth. So um, really it starts at 70000 and below you get full coverage and then uh, incrementally going up to the $90,000, uh, people do have to pay a little bit more. I think it's 40% and then 60%. Um, so there you have it. That's some more information on that program. And uh, be sure to tune in to your VOCM Mornings tomorrow morning. I just a little while ago had a conversation with uh, uh, local MP Seamus O'Regan to talk more about sort of some of the specifically the local impacts people here in Newfoundland and Labrador and what they need to know and so we'll have that tomorrow morning on your VOCM mornings Uh, so stick around for that all right we're gonna take a break now here on News Talk but when we come back next year Newfoundland and Labrador is celebrating 75 years since Confederation 75 years as a part of Canada they have have a whole bunch of uh, initiatives that they're going to be rolling out as a result of that and we're going to find out what those are coming up after the break
0: win your christmas cash with a vocm cares for the community 50 50 draw buy your tickets until december 16th at VOCMCares.com.
1: and welcome back to the program richard duggan in with you this afternoon well Newfoundland and Labrador will mark 75 years since joining Confederation in 2024. The province officially joined Canada on March 31st, 1949. This morning, Premier Andrew Fury announced a slew of initiatives to mark the milestone, including commemorative license plates, 75th anniversary of Confederation medals that will be given out to people uh, in various districts throughout the province, a scholarship for grade 12 students, and more. Here's some of what Premier Fury had to say uh, at that news conference this morning as well. We'll hear from Heidi Coombs of the Newfoundland and Labrador Historical Society to talk about the significance of joining Confederation.
4: We are just weeks away uh, from a new year, and in Newfoundland and Labrador, that means a new celebration. In 2024, Newfoundland and Labrador will proudly mark a historic milestone, the 75th anniversary of joining Canada as its 10th province. Now, like most things on this rock in the middle of the North Atlantic, confederation with Canada did not come with ease. Our entry into this great federation on March 31st, 1949, was the last chapter of a unique political evolution from colony to dominion to a province of Canada and we all know the valiant efforts of premier joseph r smallwood in getting us there we know the promises confederation held for our population spread out from bay to bay to bay and what continues and what it continues to mean for us to be a part of this great great northern country Arguably the most studied aspect of Newfoundland and Labrador's political history, confederation is a milestone that even 75 years later still sparks conversation and at times debate. On this very day, the 11th of December in 1948, Canada and then Newfoundland entered into a memorandum of understanding establishing the terms of under which we would join Canada, referred to as the terms of union. Those terms of union are so important. One of the first things I did as premier was had a copy installed on the walls of the boardroom in the premier's office. A constant reminder of what we were, what we became, and where we are going. With the passing of the necessary legislation by the British Parliament, the terms of union came into effect immediately before the expiration of the 31st day of March 1949. The majority of the terms of union are straightforward and deal with the legal and political framework for the establishment of governance. But they also include some rather unique and quirky provisions like the continued manufacture and sale of margarine. Yes, you heard that right, margarine. Go good luck. And the provision that our legislature may at any time reestablish the Legislative Council, also known as an upper chamber or a Senate, and could establish a new one in the future. Which brings us to why we're no I'm just kidding. <laughs> While we are the youngest province, we have been a strong An equal member of confederation. Can you imagine how boring Canada would be today (laughs) without Newfoundland and Labrador? By celebrating 75 years of confederation, we honor and celebrate everything Newfoundland and Labrador brings to this beautiful country. From our rich natural resources to a bucket list tourist destination, to our funny, generous, and talented people. Indeed, perhaps the biggest contribution we have made to Canada is our culture. Newfoundland and Labrador's cultural identity is what truly defines us. It's our calling card to the rest of the country and the world, with our most recognized national and international exports coming from our cultural sector. Film, theater, music, literature, dance, and visual arts. We bring it in spades and stand tall amongst the rest of our Canadian cousins. In 1974, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of Confederation with a logo showing a fisherman rowing a boat in a sou'wester. For the 75th year, next year, we have chosen a logo that reflects our vibrant province and our enduring partnership with the rest of the country. It symbolizes honoring the past, celebrating the present and embracing the future as we commemorate 75 years of confederation with Canada. Come home year 2022 was a huge success for our province particularly in the hospitality, culture, tourism industries. So I am excited for what our 2024 year of the arts and celebration as the 75th anniversary of Confederation will mean as well. We have a special 75th anniversary license plate which Minister Studley will present shortly. A new 75th Confederation grant program will support community activities that commemorate this jubilee anniversary. This program will have two components, community celebrations and heritage and indigenous cultural projects. More details will be released on this program early in 2024. Another special acknowledgement of this anniversary will be the 75th anniversary of Confederation Medal. This medal will commemorate our 75 years as a province by recognizing people in our communities that contribute to making Newfoundland and Labrador a better place to live. These are largely people who go unnoticed and contribute their time and energy for the love of their communities and their province. These Confederation Medals will be awarded throughout all Newfoundland and Labrador in each electoral district, a fitting way to recognize both Confederation and the impact of individuals in their communities. Finally, we will launch Confederation 75 scholarships. 75 grade 12 students will avail of this financial contribution towards post-secondary education and the fulfillment of their career goals. My friends, Newfoundland and Labrador is a proud part of the Canadian Federation. We are better because of it and Canada is better because we are part of it. As we look back at our progress over the last 75 years, let us look forward with hope and optimism as we envision the next 75. Together, we keep putting in the work to build a modern Newfoundland and Labrador for a modern global economy. God guard thee, Newfoundland and Labrador. So
5: I'm uh, past president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Historical Society, and I'm also a historian specializing in Newfoundland and Labrador history. And Confederation was, I think everyone will agree, one of those moments in our history that everybody has an opinion about, Mm -hmm. and sometimes very passionate opinions. And I love that. I love the fiery and determined and independent spirit of the people of this province. We had long maintained our proud independence and a strong sense of political and cultural identity, independent of the rest of North America. And so the possibility of joining Canada in 1949 divided us more than any other event in our political history. Yet public discussions of confederation have often focused on the polarizing piece of the history, especially the conspiracy theories and the larger than life political leaders of the day. But once we move beyond those discussions, there is so much more significance to this history. Historians have recently pointed out that through the National Convention and the two referenda, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians had more opportunity to publicly discuss, debate, and decide upon their political future than anywhere else in Canada. They also argue that Confederation represented a new model of social citizenship and a new relationship between the citizen and the state. These are exciting new discussions of confederation. And when we dig deeper into the oral histories and the archival materials like those we have here housed at the rooms, we can see social citizenship weaved throughout ordinary people's lives um, in the post-confederation period. The history of confederation is much more complicated than we have previously acknowledged. It is the history of ordinary people. It is the history of indigenous peoples, their perspectives and experiences with the process and with the tangled aftermath. It is the history of women and children and families, the elderly and the infirm. It is the history of rural and working people who found new opportunities beyond their hometowns. It is the history of people whose lives were directly impacted by that moment in 1949 when we became a Canadian province. Seventy-five years later, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians continue to voice strong opinions about Confederation, about the process that took place, the terms of union, um, and the long-term impact of the decision to join Canada. And yes, many still feel a sense of loss with this history. And that's okay. That's part of our story. There is not one singular history of Confederation. There is not one way to tell this story. There are many. They are complicated and they are rich. With the upcoming 75th anniversary of Confederation, it is an exciting time to be able to reflect on these histories and the significance of 1949 for all citizens of Newfoundland and Labrador.
1: And there you have it. That's from a news conference earlier today. First, we heard from Premier Andrew Fury. And then, uh, as you just heard, Heidi Coombs of the Newfoundland and Labrador Historical Society talking about the significance of the 75th anniversary of Newfoundland and Labrador joining Confederation, uh, which happened on March 31st, way back in 1949. All right, we're just up on news time now with Noah Shepard. But when we come back, uh, we're going to learn about what's going on at the Virginia Park Community Center. And some renovations that are going to uh, uh, make some changes to programs and services that are happening out of that center. We're going to hear about that as well as um, an education announcement announcement earlier today about improving food security in the short term. That's all coming up on the other side of the news.
0: (music) Make a request anytime by calling 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. And your request just might win you a cozy VOCM winter toque. Your Merry Christmas station, your VOCM.
1: And welcome back to the program. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. Well, let's get right back into it. Over $1.8 million is going to the family resource centers to improve food security in the short term. Education Minister Kristalyn Howell announced the initiative today that will see the provincial government partner with the Maple Leaf Center for Food Security. VOCM's Noah Shepard was at that announcement. He and others speak with Sarah Stern, the executive director of the Maple Leaf Center for Food Security, and Josh Mee of Food First NL.
6: So we uh, first started working with Food First Newfoundland or Food First NL about a year into our history working on their uh, collective impact work around food security across the province. So we've been in touch with the team there following all of the progress that, that Newfoundland and Labrador have made around the health accord and looking at the social determinants of health. The centre has for a long time been really interested in thinking about how can we better help people access the food that they need. So we know the number one thing is going to be overcoming an economic barrier and getting more money into people's pockets and looking at what we can do in addition to government supports to see that happen. We've been following programs across Canada and the U.S. around this idea of food as medicine. And so in conversations that we'd had with the government here, we saw a real opportunity to work with them to create a program that would get money into folks' pockets to buy the food that they need.
7: And did your group reach out to Newfoundland, or was it vice versa?
6: I think it was a a joint conversation. I think we came here with an interest. Um, A lot of the work that we do has been with the federal government. And I uh, came to Newfoundland earlier this year and had a conversation with multiple government departments at once, which was really eye-opening for me because most of the time when I reach out to government, I speak to one group at a time. We know the issue of food insecurity can't live with one department. It's really multifaceted and all groups need to come together and work at once. When we came to Newfoundland and Labrador and everyone was sitting at the table, my jaw kind of dropped. I was like, this is amazing that all of these people are talking about the issue and thinking about what role their department can play in addressing food insecurity. And so we started talking about what could we be doing to help drive action forward.
7: And I wonder if you could just talk about what what the motivation of your group is in a case like this.
6: Uh, Our overall goal is to see food insecurity in Canada reduced. In Newfoundland and Labrador, we see a real opportunity to look at what the government's been doing around income policy, some of the announcements that were made earlier this year, and investments that we might be able to make that will help um, increase access to food for people now to see if all all of these programs and policies come together. Can we see a meaningful reduction in food insecurity in the next few years?
8: I think it's. Uh, I think it is a positive step. I, I mean, we do have to distinguish. Th- this isn't a long-term. Uh, this isn't a long-term problem-solving program. But uh, if we're looking, at how do we address what's happening in people's lives in the short term? Um, one of the things that we've been doing, talking to folks who are living with food insecurity right now, is asking, "What do they want those supports to look like?" Right. And one of the things, like overwhelming you, overwhelming you, here is you want supports to be coming attached to more wraparound services. Right. To to be coming in a place where people are being met. Where where they're at, and met in a less stigmatized way than than they can be in like the way we do things right now, right? So I think that's where this kind of program fits. Is that, you know, we know that there are lots of food insecure folks now who are not accessing any kind of support around food insecurity for lots of reasons, right? And so some of those folks are probably connected with a family resource center, and, and so uh, reaching some folks who are not otherwise reachable, reaching folks pers- particularly in the early years because we do know like the Consequences of food insecurity for kids and for families with children is lifelong, and that's we're we're all paying for that, um, you know, out of our tax dollars, right? Because this is things that accumulate costs at the farther ends, right? And so these small interventions. We also look at this, I think, in the context of what's happening in the province, right? Is that this ha- this type of initiative does have some potential to scale up in some interesting ways? We have this network of resource centers, but also, you know, does it have potential to scale up into health? We're moving into this more kind of collaborative way of doing things, right? Family care teams that are going to have these multidisciplinary teams that people are working with. Like this is the kind of model, um, as as Sarah said, this kind of food as medicine model. We do see it happening in like healthcare settings. Uh, in other places too. So, just thinking about is this something we could learn from so that when you show up at a family resource center or whatever your connection is to a system, and the part of what's going on with you is that you don't have enough money for food, is there a way to mitigate that in the short term while we're still hopefully seeing work happen on those kind of structural factors um, that, are, that are determinative in the long term?
1: Can you elaborate on
6: those structural factors?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think it's well known by now. Like, you know, the, the food insecurity is primarily. An income issue that, like the big structural factor, is that people don't have enough money to buy the food that they need, uh, and that you know wages and social supports have not kept pace with the cost of living with inflation for many, many years. You know, and it's just not it's not possible for lots of households to be to be food secure right now, and so that still that still needs to change. Like we're not going to see the we're not going to see these huge reductions in food food insecurity until that changes. But in the meantime, um, one thing our organization is pretty clear on is that it is worth investing some time and thinking about what do those ground level supports look like now you know as you know as as much as we know they're not able to solve the problem can it be as equitable you know and as kind uh, and uh, and as connected and experience to access support as possible that does still mean something uh you know without letting people off the hook on the long-term stuff
1: and there you have it. Uh, you just heard Josh Mee of Food First and Alan Before that, uh, Sarah Stern, the executive director of Maple Leaf Center for Food Security, uh, talking about that $1.8 million that's going to family resource centers from the provincial government uh, to help out with food security. And by the way, all the stories that we're talking about here on today's program, more information can be found about them online at vocm.com. And, of course, in our newscast, uh, the day in review with Noah Shepard coming up uh, in about nine. 19 minutes from now. All right, keeping things moving along. Now there are big changes coming to the Virginia Park Community Center in the east end of St. John's. The facility, which was built back in 1942, will temporarily close so that Newfoundland and Labrador Housing can assess before beginning renovations. VOCM's Allison King was at that news conference this morning and brings us some comments made from Area MHA Bernard or Bernard Davis, pardon me, and Minister Paul Pike.
7: It's great to be here this morning at the Virginia Park Community Center with the MHA for uh, Virginia uh, Waters uh, Pleasantville, um, uh, Minister Davis, and uh, Mr. Ron Ellsworth, uh, who's the uh, board chair of this uh, particular center. We're here because uh, we're going to... Uh, we're, be doing some work with the community center we 're going to be doing some renovations and we're pleased that we're able to uh, do that uh, because the board has done phenomenal work in getting community partners involved and these community partners are going to be uh, helping in providing space uh, for us to continue the programming here uh, Newfoundland Labrador housing has been uh, has been uh, doing a lot of work with with the uh, Virginia Park Board and uh, we've certainly uh, are at a point now where we really need to get in here look at this building and to do an assessment of what needs to be done and in order to do that uh, we're going to have to uh, cut programming immediately but uh, we're going we have community partners in place and there should not be a disruption uh, a major disruption and so like for the community to come together and do this work, and to do it in such, you know, with the blessing of everyone uh, in in the area, we think that's great. And uh, you know, the services that are being provided. The one is at uh, Saint Mark's Church, Anglican Church. Uh, the other would be uh, at the. Uh, we're using the, uh, the uh, school, school Saint Mark's.
9: Yeah. Yep, East Point Elementary. East
7: Point Elementary, yes, East Point Elementary. And then we're going to the um, Academy of Academy Canada, Canada building. So that's where our offices will be located. So it's all in close proximity. Mm-hmm. So we're very pleased with
9: it. Davis, uh, just tell us about the importance of New York and MHA for this. district. and what this, what this uh, facility means to, to the people in your district. Well, this facility is, uh, you know, of paramount importance to the to the people that we all represent. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like uh, a home for people to get programming, receive. uh, The staff is fantastic here, the board is great. Uh, I'd like to throw a bouquet right to the board very quickly and the staff for, uh, you know, working so closely with uh, Newfoundland Alberta Housing on this. We understand that this is going to be a little bit of a disruption, but we're trying to minimise that by having it, and I'll let the chair talk a little bit more about that, uh, the time time frame and all that. But we're very much happy to have the partnerships that we do have in this community, and these are long-standing partnerships. Uh, You know, Academy Canada stepping up and two doors down the road, Uh, to allow for for taking over some of the partnerships that we have and and for staffing. Um, The school, which is right in the middle of this community, uh, will be providing some of the the youth programming. And, you know, St. Mark's Church has always been a key player with respect to this community, and they've done some fantastic work. So great work for them. Uh, This wouldn't come together without the great work of the board and and obviously Newfoundland Housing stepping up for the people in this community. And, you know, I can't... um, this is a positive day because this building is very old, as we all know, and, you know, getting in here and, and doing an assessment, that continuing the assessment that's already happened, you can't do that while programming is happening in this building, so it's so important that the staff gets in here for New Housing and sees what they can find, if there is anything, what renovation can look like, and what the next steps would come forward for. So, you know, I know the board has done fantastic work with housing. and Why is housing doing that work? Well, this is a housing facility, so okay. You know, from our standpoint, it's, a, it's an important piece that they would come in and do that. They do, they, they uh, help in the funding of this facility, um, like they do in many other community centers around this province. Um, you know, so I'm very happy that they're here. I'm happy that this building is getting the uh, attention uh, to look at it now as it gets older and aging. Uh, that's an important piece that, uh, you know, the community needs, and we want it to continue for the success of the community. I mean, I get, this is, this is a, a, a central piece to this community, and uh, I can't uh, oversell how important this is. And I'm happy that the board is, uh, in their wisdom, and working with housing, uh, have found a solution. That's going to be great for the community.
1: And there you have it. That's Area MHA Bernard Davis, along with uh, Housing Minister Paul Pike, discussing uh, some changes that are going to be happening at the Virginia Park Community Center. That facility going to be closing down in a couple of weeks as uh, housing officials uh, assess what renovations might need to happen there. And of course, that means that you know some programs and services are being moved around to, uh, in the interim as that process is being carried out. All right, we're going to take our final break of the day here now on news talk when we come back vocm's linda swain speaks with the president of the scleroderma society
0: uh that's coming up in just a little bit stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your vocm join linda swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm
1: and welcome back to the show. Well, Scleroderma Canada is hosting its biannual convention in St. John's next summer. President of Scleroderma Atlantic, Jason Doucette, speaks with VOCM's Linda Swain.
10: Well, good afternoon, Jason Doucette.
1: Hi Linda, how are you? Good,
10: good. So uh, Scleroderma Canada has decided to host its uh, biannual meeting here in St. John's but before we talk a bit about that I want to back up a bit. Uh, For a lot of people they might be wondering what is scleroderma so help us (laughs) out with that.
11: Sure thing and also very difficult to pronounce uh, difficult to live with as well. Uh, So what scleroderma is it is a rare autoimmune disease Um, so effectively what happens is the body overproduces collagen So that can cause hardening and tightening of the skin as well as damage to some internal organs. So when you normally think about collagen, you say, yeah, it's a good thing. Makes your skin nice and soft, but when your body overproduces it, uh, in this case, it's too much of a good thing. Um, So certainly uh, has lots of impacts on those who are living with the disease. It can affect everything from your physical appearance to even the mobility of your fingers, like your loss of your fingers, loss of your toes, uh, damage to internal organs such as lung capacity and so on. So it it really is um, a very difficult disease to live with.
10: And what causes it? Is there a genetic factor here? Does it develop just randomly in people? How does, how does that work?
11: Um, possibly all of the above. There's still lots of research going into that. There's no known cause and no cure at the moment. Uh, we do know that approximately 1 in 2,500 Canadians live with the disease, um, but it can be very random, um, but it can also be potentially genetically developed as well. We're still looking into that, but right now, no known cause.
10: And when is it typically diagnosed? Does this have a like a, a childhood onset, an adult onset?
11: Uh, typically, we see patients or those who are living with the disease are typically women, aged thirty to fifty. Um, we do see some men. Uh, we do see as well that those men who are living with the disease tend to have it a little bit worse than the women. Um, but there's also less men who have the disease overall. Um, but certainly, the you know, the, the, there are some young people as well. But that certain the female between thirty and fifty is definitely where we see much of the population.
10: So uh, typically after a diagnosis, what happens then?
11: Um, so it's very difficult to diagnose, and that's part of the reason why Scleroderma Atlantic and Scleroderma Canada exist, is to raise awareness amongst our healthcare professionals. A lot of general practitioners, for example, may only have one or two patients with scleroderma. Um, so what they need to do is uh, those who are living the disease hopefully will get diagnosed by their GP and then get referred to a rheumatologist. So their rheumatologists will be the ones who will... Uh, officially diagnose scleroderma and then follow that patient through their life. Uh, So it's very important that if someone, you know, if you notice you have that, uh, a lot of people who have scleroderma have like the tightening of the mouth. That's one thing that you really notice. Uh, Sometimes your fingers can look a little crippled, a little bent in. Uh, So definitely if you see sort of the scleroderma symptoms, talk to your general practitioner and hopefully you can get referred to a rheumatologist as soon as possible.
10: And it's degenerative?
11: It definitely can be, but there are some uh, there are ways to manage the various symptoms that exist that are out there. Um, but it's a matter of just how quickly you can get diagnosed and how quickly you can get in front of that rheumatologist.
10: So why a rheumatologist then? Uh,
11: because it is part of the rheumatic disease, so it, it is affiliated to a degree with, with arthritis, for example. Um, so certainly it's the rheumatology world that uh, they're the experts in this particular disease.
10: And is there a trigger or, or you know, anything that sort of um, causes these symptoms suddenly to appear?
11: Now, again, not, not that we're aware of. There's no known cause. There are some you know, people out there who are looking into things like just various uh, environmental conditions, for example. Um, it could be genetic. There's just lots, lots of research still underway. And I'm just hoping to one day really find out, A, um, why does it happen and who does it happen mostly into? And then B, how can we find a cure to help those people who are living with the disease?
10: So is it an autoimmune response then? It
11: is. It is a rare autoimmune disease, yeah. So very much it's in the same family, for example, as lupus. Um, You know, it's it's an autoimmune disease for sure.
10: So you've decided to hold your uh, biennial conference in St. John's. Tell us a little bit about that.
11: Yeah, very excited. So every uh, few years, Room Atlantic is the opportunity to co-host the conference. And this year we decided uh, as part of uh, our opportunity to co-host to come to Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, it's the first time that the conference will be held here. Um, so we're super excited. We're going to be uh, located at the Delta downtown from August 29th to 31st. Uh, lots of great programming underway Uh, We're in town this week uh, for part of a site visit and to meet with a bunch of folks who will be helping us out during the conference. But lots of great sessions coming up, including uh, a patient panel where uh, various patients who have the disease, who live with the disease, will be talking about their symptoms and their life. Uh, We'll have a scleroderma 101 session just to learn a little bit more about the disease. Uh, We'll be talking about living with scleroderma, and we'll have various... Uh, medical professionals on site as well who will talk about living with scleroderma from everything from dental to fatigue to diet um, as part of the conference there's going to be a continuing med- medical education for uh, for physicians so we're hoping to see a few of those people here as well uh, but super excited to be here there's going to be uh, lots lots going on we have some excursions planned for those who are coming in uh, just to see some of the great uh, newfoundland and labrador hospitality so we can't wait for next next summer
10: Excellent, and and are, you, you mentioned some of these patient panels. Are there any particular challenges that uh, are unique to sclerodermal patients?
11: Uh, certainly, living with the disease, um, like I say, like one of the major factors, for example, is the tightening of the mouth. So just think about going to a dentist, for example, and not being able to open your mouth fully. Um, so that's something that you know it takes a lot of uh, detail with the dentist uh, to work with the patient to make sure that they can have help, they can have the proper dental hygiene. Um, a lot of some patients, again, they, lo- they lose the mobility in their digits, so they're, they may lose the total capacity of using their fingers, for example. So how do you get through life if that happens to you? Um, so we're going to have some patients who are going to be on that panel who are incurring various symptoms and who will be able to talk to about their way of life and just uh, ways that they cope um, from a day-to-day basis.
10: And are there any treatments that help people living with scleroderma?
11: Again, depending on the symptoms, um, there are some treatments out there. There's various uh, drugs out there um, who can, again, depending on what your symptoms are and and what your manifestations are, uh, there are various drugs. There's a lot of extended medical health as well, for example. So massage, chiropractic uh, can be very important. So we'll be talking about those kind of things at the conference as well. So what can you use outside of your regular medical professionals um, to help you live a better life living with scleroderma?
10: Jason Doucette, I do appreciate your time. No doubt we'll be uh, talking again before the big conference. Uh, Thanks so much.
11: Thank you so
1: much. Appreciate the opportunity. And there you go. That's VOCM's Linda Swain speaking with the president of Scleroderma Atlantic. That's Jason Doucette. uh, Scleroderma Canada is holding its biennial convention in St. John's next summer. Now, before we head off uh, on today's program, I came across this cute little video on Twitter. And maybe it's just because I'm a parent now and this sort of stuff makes me sappy anyway. I'm not sure. But uh, students at Cowan Heights Elementary uh, headed out to St. John's. International Airport today uh, to sing a little bit of a concert and uh, for the people going through the airport and uh, have a listen to what they sounded like earlier. I love that. And that is just so sweet. Again, that's the kids from Cowan Heights Elementary School down at the airport earlier, uh, singing to people going through, and I know you can't hear it, but myself and Sarah Strickland were just fist bumping to that, so (laughs) we're loving it.
2: Holly and Jolly this time of year.
1: Sarah, did you, when when you were in especially elementary school, did they ever take your choir and, and get you to perform in any memorable places? I remember when I was in grade four or five they got us to sing at christmas time i think at the delta and they actually like they brought out like the risers there for us to stand on and i remember i was being so excited because our teachers were like the news is gonna come and film this (laughs) and they're gonna put you on the news tonight so of course i went home and i was like mom mom we have to watch the news tonight because I might be on it. And I, <laughs> what I remember, which is really funny now, given the business that I'm in, is that I remember being so rotted that we weren't in the first, like, 10 minutes of the newscast, and I had to wait until the end to see us performing. And then when we got to the end, I, I wasn't in the video at all. Oh, the, like, the angles they got, listen. like... The, the angles they got, like, I, I had to stand, like, in the middle of the bleachers, so I was obstructed by all the other kids, so... But I, I was kind of like, you know, like Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. And he's like, I was on TV, even though he's completely <laughs> blocked out like that was me. I was still pumped about I it.
2: I think you get a lot of news time now. So I think that makes up for um, what you went through in elementary school. I guess
1: so. Yeah. Ten year old Ricky is uh, looking proudly now on what this yeah, has become. He's, so.
2: uh, he's made up for it. <laughs>
1: Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning into the program today. Um, I will be back tomorrow on News Talk as well, and we'll have lots to talk about tomorrow because uh, not only is St. John's bringing down their municipal budget, but so is the city of Mount Pearl. So we're going to give you the lowdown on what's in the St. John's budget, the Mount Pearl budget, and anything else that breaks between now and then. Thank you all so much, and now it's time for news with Noah Shepard.